Hello, I'm Kyle Willoughby. Joining me is Claire White. Hi. And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures in Nerd Manual. We're here to discuss the new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. Today, we're talking about Every Heart a Doorway. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Every Heart a Doorway is a book by Seanan McGuire and the recent winner of the Hugo Award for Best Novella. Every Heart a Doorway is about or is a story about a boarding school for adolescent children, mostly girls, who have traveled through magical portals or doorways to fantasy worlds where they lived for sometimes as long as 10 years before being shot back out into the quote-unquote real world or our world. Uh, the boarding school helps the children, once again mostly girls, readjust to quote-unquote normal life and the fact that it is statistically unlikely that they'll ever find their doorway again, thus they'll never get to go back to their fantasy world. And every fantasy world is different. There's dark underworlds, there's rainbow worlds, there's... Yeah, there's like there's like My Little Pony-esque rainbow mm-hmm. worlds into... What uh, uh, she compares one world to, to Hammerstein movies, like the old black and white horror mm-hmm. films, which I think is where Jack and Jill were. And then there's like a Day of the Dead type world. Yeah, there's like a Dia de los Muertos world. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Claire will be telling us about portal fantasy. I believe Since that is exactly what this is. Since that is it's exactly <laughs> what this looking is. Looking at for- portal fantasy. And what are you going to talk about, Kyle? And I'm going to talk about Sean and McGuire, the author, and a bit about the Hugos and, and their selection process for their winners. Oh, very cool. Well, I guess I'll go ahead. Go ahead, Claire. It's all you. <laughs> so I have in my notes, there are a lot of different genres of fantasy. We'll start with that. Um, we <laughs> talked about this uh, in our Oathbringer podcast uh, a couple about a month ago. Crazy. Which, yeah, it doesn't seem that long. No. Um, but anyway, he was saying, you know, in fantasy, there's high fantasy. There's um, there's epic fantasy. There's urban fantasy. Um, there is, what does he say, gritty fantasy describes Game of Thrones. There's so many. I mean, like, and that's not even all, like. All of the subgenres. That's a handful of, of them. There's so many subgenres. There's time travel fantasy. So, anyway, I'm going to focus specifically on portal fantasy because, of course, in this book, uh, Shannon is how you say it? Shannon is the author, yeah. Yeah, Shannon McGuire is specifically focusing and, like, kind of looking into what we think of the characters in portal fantasies and what it might be like if you didn't get to stay in this new world or you couldn't come back. Yeah. Um, So, a portal fantasy, for the definition that I found, is where a character or characters travel from the real world to another fantasy world. Uh, the characters uh, tend to be the chosen ones. And once they enter this world, they have an important role to play in significant, significant events for this new world. Now, portal fantasies don't have to be quest fantasies, but they usually are. Um, and quest fantasies are exactly what they sound like. Um, they're a story about a journey towards something. You got to so- go get the MacGuffin. Well, like, The Hobbit is a quest fantasy. Yeah. They're going on a journey to get the gold that is guarded by a dragon. And in portal fantasies, the character can't return home, usually through the portal, until this event or quest has been completed or defeated. The final battle is won. Um, in quest fantasy, especially, the object uh, that they're going on this quest for is usually just a token. The real reward is moral growth. And yeah, it's the you, same in Portal Fantasies yeah. too, like in The Hobbit to continue 
Bilbo Baggins grows as a, I was going to say person, but grows as a hobbit. He grows as a character. Grows yeah. into a better hobbit yeah. because he's gone on this quest and his horizons have been expanded. He also does come back with a lot of money. Yeah. But it's just, that's a token. <laughs> that that that's is, not yeah, really what's that's important. Um, now, portals themselves uh, tend to be the way characters pass in between the worlds. And portal travel, um, especially in fantasy, is almost always instantaneous. I couldn't think of an example of where it's not instantaneous. Is Wrinkle in Time, was that instantaneous when they would jump through the... I mean, it, I guess, yeah, for for our intents. For all yeah. intents and purposes, I, it would, you know, would be instantaneous. know, we talked about this earlier. I cannot remember Wrinkle in Time. Just like little smatterings yeah. here and there. And I know I read it multiple times as a kid. And that's why I'm excited to do it later. Yeah. But... And to continue <laughs> to something I do know, um, the portal gives writers opportunities to create new worlds. Um, so it can also fall into the category of travel fiction, which doesn't have to be fantasy, where it's an, in- an innocent entering a strange world that must be explored and explained to them. The thing about most travel fiction, though, is that the journey is part of the story, whereas in portal fantasy, you kind of just skip the journey. Yeah. Or you know? least, yeah. That you, you get there Very basically, quickly. whereas yeah. in travel fiction, the the point of this would be the the point of the story would be the traveling to the fantasy world. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Now the portal is also important because it informs the audience of how different this fictional world is, and that the laws in it will be different. It just kind of allows the writer to come in and say, "I can do anything now." Yeah. When you find a world in the back of a wardrobe. All of a sudden, you can make your own rules about that world. You mm-hmm. know? Exactly. Exa- anything could apply. Anything could, People yeah. could be upside down, walking exactly. upside down, but exactly. the audience will still believe you. Yeah, because you know? oh, it's a it's a separate place. Exactly. Now, I read um, the most helpful thing in my research was the Rutledge Companion to Imaginary Worlds by Mark J. P. Wolf. Uh, if you want to go read more about fantasy worlds and sci-fi worlds in general, it was a great resource. Um, but he was saying that there are two types of portals: natural and artificial. Now, natural portals can be seen in nature, say a rabbit hole, or say bad weather that maybe picks you up and takes you to a faraway land. I.e. Alice in Wonderland or uh, Dorothy, or Dorothy and the yeah, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Um, they can be the disinte- disintegration of the boundary between worlds. And uh, the protagonist has to put in r- no real effort to find it. They are either guided to it or they kind of stumble upon it. Artificial portals are representations of invention, say, a mirror, like in the Chronicles of Narnia, or a door, like in Monsters, Inc. Ah, Monsters, Inc. is portal fantasy. It is. Or or there's portal sci-fi. I'll get to that a little bit later. That's pretty cool. And uh, artificial portals can be created by a scientist, uh, and sometimes it's created by mistake, or sometimes the scientist realizes their mistake, like in Stranger Things. Mm. So, also portal fantasy. I did some research into the history of portal fantasy, and there, there's not a ton. Um, surprisingly, I thought there would be more to this. The earliest portals I found referenced were in Greek and Roman literature, um, when a, a person would leave the real world, our world, quote unquote, and go to say the God's world. Yeah, like that was I was asking you about that when you were early on in the research about Odysseus going to the underworld. Kind of. Uh, the example that was given was Aeneas and his journey to the underworld in the Aeneid by Virgil. I'm going to give you a very quick summary because this story is quite lengthy. Uh, yeah, well, Dido <laughs> won't even talk to him down there, right? Isn't that the thing? 
Oh, it may be, and you know that would make sense. And she shouldn't talk to him. Yeah, he he burned her pretty bad. He and sure did, and then she burned herself. herself. <laughs> but anyway, Dido aside, this is the the basic story. So after escaping Troy, um, when the Greeks, you know, brought the horse in and destroyed the city, it was foretold that Aeneas would found a second city in Italy slash Rome, and Virgil is telling this story as, like, Rome's founding. A series of events happen, including Dido, the queen of Carthage, and once Aeneas finally makes it to Italy, he travels to the underworld where he speaks to his father's spirit, who tells him of the destiny of Rome and shows him all of Rome's future heroes, and he realizes how important it is for him to found this city. I think you could argue that in other Greek and Roman mythologies, when humans travel to the underworld, it's like a bit of portal fantasy. Yeah, it's a bit of portal fantasy, but it also makes you wonder, like, did they believe that that underworld existed exactly. in real life? Exactly. You know? and but so, you could argue that the beginnings of portal fantasy were yeah, there. Yeah. Another example of early portal fantasy that um, it depends on, again, what you believe that I read, was early Christian work where the journey into heaven becomes the ultimate portal. Mm. Hopefully that you never come back from. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there is this just nothing. I mean, I guess there's a lot of early Christian work about going to heaven, but I was Googling and just trying to research like medieval portal fantasy, medieval portal travel, nothing. Yeah. Um, before the late 19th century, most works of Western, and again, I am focusing on Western fantasy here because this book is based in Western portal fantasy. Um, but Western fantasy came from two categories, romance, um, like King Arthur, and the fairy tale. Yeah. Probably derived from the stories uh, like the um, Vikings and the Celts. Yeah. Um, and then fantasy writers started targeting children instead of writing stories that were inspired by the past. And there was a cultural shift where they started writing stories set in present day, except there were magical characters and fantastical events. And the earliest of this portal text, uh, it's usually argued, is Lewis's Car- Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which was in 1865. Mm. And like we talked about and before. That's what I think of when I think portal fantasy. Yeah. I mean, it really did define the genre. And like we talked about before, in Wonderland, Carol was able to make up rules and it gave him artistic freedom instead of being bound to these real world rules. And the book was so different from other Victorian children's books at the time because it was pure entertainment. There was no moral message. Alice was just on a reckless adventure. (laughs) Um, now, since then, there have been so many portal fantasies. I, Peter Pan. Yeah. Wizard of Oz. Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I was thinking Coraline when we when we started talking about this. The Subtle Knife, uh, which is, is in the Golden Compass trilogy. Oh, oh okay. uh, One of my favorites. Uh, Outlander. Yeah. Portal fantasy. Um, Shades of Magic by V.E. Schwab is a really recent one that I could think of. There's so many. Um, and actually, if anyone knows any medieval or other portal fantasy that happened before Alice um, Lewis Carroll, please tell us. Yeah, I remember. I think it's a story from 1001 Nights that Scheherazade tells about someone going to the land of the genies. But I tried to look it up just now and I couldn't find it. And maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Well, if, if you guys know what that story is, yeah, let us, us. know. I'm curious. 
Um, now, I just want to also define sci-fi portal uh, travel and horror for, uh, portal travel because they are a little bit different. Um, in sci-fi, it's a way to cut down travel time so characters can move great distances. Makes you know, sense. Usually in space. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you need that in space. Exactly. And in horror, um, magic moves through the portal to threaten the safety of the hero's world. Okay. So when I said Stranger Things, I think that would be more horror horror portal. Horror yeah. is a hard word to say. Horror. Horror portal travel. I like, uh, it made me think of what you guys, I, I know you and James didn't see, but um, Pacific Rim is kind of sci-fi, kind of horror portal travel where these monsters are coming out of this portal in the ocean and destroying everything. Yep, that that's probably more horror, maybe disaster, I, yeah. disaster, portal, disaster portal, travel. portal travel. You know what else is horror port- portal travel? Uh, mm. Evil Dead. Yeah, it is. Oh, hell yeah, Evil Dead is. You're totally right. Especially the Army of Darkness, where there's a literal portal that shoots ash back in time to medieval times with this chainsaw and a shotgun. (laughs) That's why you need to see that movie. That is portal travel. Well, that's my segment. Um, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Well, that was very interesting. I was really pumped up to hear about Portal. I know. I thought there actually would be more. I'm a little bit disappointed that there isn't more early Portal travel. Yeah, yeah. You'd think that, like, some dude somewhere in the year 10 wrote a Portal book, but— the, we did stall in the Middle Ages in a lot of ways, that's and true. people weren't being creative with their fantasy. That's and true. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it is fine now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, Kyle, let's let's hear about the production of this book. All right. Well, I can talk a bit about Seanan McGuire, and mm-hmm. that's how you pronounce her name, Seanan, not Sean Ann, Sean Ann. No, it looks exactly like it's pronounced. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to start off talking a, a bit about her. Uh and Shonda McGuire is a freaking force of nature, or it seems it anyway. And she's probably the most impressive McGuire I've ever done any research on. <laughs> she's written more books than Mark McGuire hit home runs in that famous season where he hit 70 home runs. Did you do the math yourself? I did. I looked up, or at least published, she's published more books. She's had more <laughs> stories published than Mark McGuire hit home runs in that season. Uh, and from what we know, she was not using steroids to write those books, <laughs> <laughs> which is more than Mark McGuire can say. And his, I, I found this out when I looked this up because I thought it was funny, but Mark McGuire also spells his name slightly differently. But we're going to count him as a McGuire. <laughs> this, this segment is actually about this, Mark uh, McGuire. This segment is about he played for the Cardinals. <laughs> he was very impressive. Uh <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, So we don't know that Seanan McGuire wasn't using performance-enhancing drugs to write those books, uh, but she apparently did watch a lot of My Little Pony. I think I read a bit of that article. She freaking loves My Little Pony is what I learned. She has a My Little Pony collection. Um, So her books include 13 novels in the Urban Fantasy October Day series, seven books in the Encrypted Urban Fantasy series, um... Also, the Sparrow Hill Road stories, of which there are 12, and those take place in the same universe as the uh, encrypted urban fantasy books. And that's not including any of her anthologies or the successful series that she has written under a different name. She has successful and Hugo-nominated books under her own name and under a pen name. And that pen name is Mira Grant. Under the name Mira Grant, she published the very popular zombie apocalypse slash post-apocalypse newsflesh books and parasit- uh, parasitology books. Do you think she had the pen name just to differentiate herself from like an urban fantasy writer 
to a zombie writer, post-apocalyptic writer. That's what I theorize, though I didn't, I've never heard her say anything like that, but I I think it could, it could make sense. Because when I think pen name, I think you'd have it because you were writing a romance novel that's a little trashy. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, you're getting away from the genre you're normally in, like, like J.K. Rowling writing that, uh, that detective book, Right. right? So... Um, so she was born in Martinez, California, and grew up in Concord, California, which I wanted to ask you about. Holy Claire. crap! That's so close to where I'm from. Is it? Like, it's the town next to my town. Oh yeah, I, I knew it was. I looked it up, and I saw it was in the Bay Area, and I was like, I wonder if Claire's. No, of that, that is ridiculously close to where I, I went to the mall in Concord every weekend as a teenager. That's... Sun Valley. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where she grew up. Oh, cool. Um, and, and according to an interview from the Pacific Standard by David Perry on June 15th, 2017, McGuire grew up on welfare with her mom uh, bringing back very old fantasy and sci-fi books for her from flea markets. And she was raised on fantasy that was 20 years out of date. Um, and this is a quote from that interview. Uh, there were virtually no women in those books. What I noticed was that only boys got to have adventures and go out and fight dragons or befriend dragons. Then a woman would show up and she would 90% of the time be a sexual reward for the guys for going out and having these adventures that were never offered to her in the first place. I didn't want to sit at home and then have sex with the hero when he came back from going on this grand quest. <laughs> Which is true and what she, she kind of, there's a, there's a couple lines and one I remember really specifically from Every Heart a Doorway where she kind of mentions that because the school is mostly populated by girls Mm -hmm. and she kind of like fights back against that trope by saying like, oh, boys don't get to have as many adventures as you'd think because people always notice when they're gone. Whereas girls, you know, oftentimes no one really looks for. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, She also says that D&D and the original My Little Pony cartoon were her salvations because they allowed her to be the center of a story or in My Little Pony's case, once again, there's a quote from that previous interview, the original My Little Pony cartoon was hardcore epic fantasy that just happened to be about pink pastel horses that would burst randomly into song. Pretty awesome. I never watched the cartoon, but I, I had My Little My, Ponies. Yeah, tons of My Little Ponies. The yes. new and they are, it's like My Little Pony is genius. It is. Just like the way it looks. <laughs> For marketing. You well, just want it. Well, the worlds in, uh, there's a couple worlds in Every Heart a Doorway that sound like My, my Little, Little Pony. My Little Pony. And don't you want to be in them? Bubble gum Did you want to be in them? Not particularly. Oh, I did. There's I like, a girl. That sounds great. There's a girl in the book who's one of the, the fantasy world that she went into. She would wear special sneakers so she could run around on, on rainbows. rainbows. <laughs> on rainbows. <laughs> And it just sounds like a lot like My Little Pony. Oh, so perfect. we could definitely see that influence in My Heart a Doorway. Um, McGuire has been involved in the world of fandom for a long time as well, actually winning a Hugo in 2013 for the best fan cast or fandom podcast. Uh, and that podcast is called the the SF Squeecast, which is still going on right now. Oh, wow. Um, and it's it's funny because she's not a stranger to the Hugos e- either. That year in 2013, she was nominated for a record amount of Hugos under her own name and her pen name. So she was nominated for Best Novel, uh, Blackout, and that was under Mira Grant, her, mm-hmm. her fake name. She was uh, nominated for Best Novella, and that was um, San Diego 2014, The Last Stand of the California Browncoats. That was under Mira Grant. She's novel, or nominated for uh, twice in Best Novelette for In Sea Salt Tears, and that was a Sean and McGuire, Sean and McGuire, and Ratcatcher, also Sean and McGuire. And of course, these are all different years, right? No, this is all 2013. Oh my goodness! This is all 2013. 
that she set the she has the record for the most nominations in a year for Hugo, oh. and then for the best fan cast, which is the one that she won in twenty thirteen. Martinez, Martinez, <laughs> represent Concord, California. Concord, Concord. That's closer. I don't need your silly emphasis from the West Coast, Claire. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Although, whatever makes you happy. We've Kyle. just learned that my pronunciation of Concord may not be an East Coast thing. <laughs> just it might you be a, me being an idiot thing or South thing. <laughs> Maryland the is the South and the South. You're trying to have it all. I'm trying to have it all. So another thing in in researching more about Shauna McGuire is I learned about a new type of music. She's really involved in filk music. Do you have any idea what filk music is, I Claire? assume it's a type of folk music. It is a type of folk music. It's a folk music with lyrical content that has to do uh, normally with science fiction or fantasy and is normally kind of a fan art, fan labor uh, sort of uh, production. Um, and it even has its own award, the Pegasus Award, which McGuire won in 2007 oh my for her goodness. filk music. Martinez. <laughs> Martinez Concord. 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 No, that's how you said it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't say it. Uh, Concord. There, is that a con- Concord? Okay. Well, anyway, back back to Every Heart a Doorway. Um, this Every Heart a Doorway is the first book in her ser- her Wayward Children series, which are you can you don't need to read in order. You can they can be read as standalones, but they're all they're going to concern the girls at this boarding school and and. and- Three boys. And the three boys that live there. You meet two of them in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't think you meet all three. You don't meet all. I think there's more than three, too. Is, yeah, it's a couple more than three. So the second book in that's in this series is called Down Among the Sticks and Bones, and that came out June 13th, 2017. And actually, there's a, 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 the most recent one is the third book called Beneath the Sugar Sky, which came out January 9th, uh, 2018. It's just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. So more more books to look forward to in this series, which I'm actually pretty excited about, which we'll, we'll get into in opinions. I want to switch gears now and talk a little bit about the Hugo Awards and their system of selecting who wins, because I think it's really interesting. And I'd heard of it before, but I didn't quite understand like, I've heard of the system they used before, but I didn't understand, like, how it works. So mm-hmm. I looked up, and I wanted to give a little brief excl- uh, explanation on how the Hugo Award runoff system works for voting. And Hugo and Awards, awards. for anyone who doesn't know, are, like, the fantasy and sci-fi Oscars for literature. And I guess yeah. podcasts? Yeah, they're like the, yeah, fantasy and sci-fi anything for books and, and things relating to fantasy and, and sci-fi. Because they also have a a fan-produced magazine award that they mm, give out. Okay. Because it started at Worldcon back in the 30s, and these were just fans of fantasy and sci-fi, and a lot of times they would have to make their own fan magazines that they would then right. distribute to people because there weren't a lot of science fiction magazines out there. Um, so anyway, the, the back to the run, actual runoff system. So... To be a member, to to be able to vote in the Hugos, you must be a member of the World Science Fiction Society, but you don't necessarily have to be at Worldcon, which is where they mm-hmm. they announce the Hugos. Um, and I'm not sure how you become a member of the World Science Fiction Society. I think you can apply online. It doesn't seem like that rigorous of a process, honestly. Um, and this is how you get your nominations. Each voter gets to nominate five works in every category if they want. They don't have to. Um, can you nominate three? Yeah. You, okay. you don't have to nominate five, uh, but works cannot be re- represented in multiple categories. And when the nominations are tallied, the top six go on to be put on the ballot. Another another thing is if if you've listed one book five times, that only counts as once okay. as one vote. That's good. Yeah. 
So the top six uh, get put on the ballot, and if there is a tie for the sixth place uh, spot, both works will be nominated, or all three, or all four works will be nominated. If it's a tie for that last place spot, they all make it onto the ballot. Uh, thus, sometimes Hugo Award categories will have more than six nominations. Now, for the voting, each voter has the option to rank the nominees of each category one through five. And this is, this is what I really like a lot. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, with the choice, no award being an option. You don't have to use a rank on every nominee. Say if you've uh, only read two of the stories in that category, you can put one and two down for your, you know, top for the two that you know. Or maybe you hated one of those stories, thus you would put one next to your favorite and two for no award. I mean, you could just put nothing for the rest. And nothing for the rest. Okay. You don't have to label all of them. They don't want people voting on stuff that they haven't actually read. Right. And what this helps do is it helps it it helps you so you don't have a book winning that got say thirty percent of the vote or forty percent of the vote because there's you know so many different there's this you right. have up to six options um, and it makes me think of our last election like if you you know like they're two very un unlikable candidates for for a lot of people <laughs> if you got to vote in a runoff system or you could have voted no award or no president <laughs> as my first choice bring me two more people to vote for i wonder yeah. where we'd be right now <laughs> oh gosh it's either exciting or terrifying i um i really like that and i feel like other awards especially very popular ones should be run more like this i wonder if the oscars do do that too Mm. Um, if, if that's how they, if the, you put but your But I don't five. think, I like that everyone gets to vote on the categories that go in. Yeah. It, I, I, again, like, I don't know how the Oscars work, um, and that's what I'm thinking of right now, or the Golden Globes. kind of feels like someone just picked them. It does. It feels arbitrary sometimes. Like, it's not the people. Yeah. Like, these aren't necessarily, like, um, Well, Wonder the Golden Globes is the Hollywood Foreign Press, right? Right, they like, Wonder that. Woman, granted, I don't think it's the best movie ever made, but Wonder Woman wasn't nominated for, for anything. anything. And I feel like ridiculous. had the people picked. Yeah, Wonder Woman would have been up Maybe. there for something. Oh, Fast and Furious. You're a... Fur oh, Fate of the Furious. So good. What'd you say? There's a submarine? <laughs> there's there's a submarine that bursts through the... Oh, we, we shouldn't get into this. But yes, the, the Rock physically shoves a torpedo away from his car. He also does a Haka war dance with his, his daughter's, you know, little league soccer team at the beginning of the movie. So you know it's good right from the start. <laughs> anyway, back to the Hugos and, and the awards. So for counting the votes, uh, for deciding who, who, you know, what nominee wins, if a nominee receives over 50% of the number one votes, it is a prospective winner. If it did not receive more than 50% of the votes, or if no nominee received 50% of the votes, it goes to the second round of tallying, okay. where you count how many times the work received a second place vote. Those votes are added into the first place pile and so on and so forth until a nominee reaches above 50%. Okay. Then they become prospective winners. Now, this is where you get the no award test. The final check before a winner can be determined is uh, known as the no award test. And this is where the valid ballots are divided into three piles. Those in which the no award is ranked higher than the pr prospective winner, those in which the prospective winner is ranked higher than no award, and those in which neither no award nor the prospective winner have preferences listed. Um, now, a ballot that contains a preference for the prospective winner but does not contain a preference for no award goes into the prospective winner higher than no award pile. Uh, this is because Wait, can you explain that again? So they 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 take all the votes that have say we have say uh, every hearted doorway reached above fifty percent first right. of the votes. 
So then it goes into the no award test, and it's the final check just to make sure that this is the winner. And what they do is they go through all the ballots and they find who ranked no award higher than every heart a doorway and who ranked every heart a doorway higher than no award, just to make sure that the no award votes even— So it's not getting more— That that it's not not 50% no award, 50%— Right. It's not a divisive, divisive. Exactly. Exactly. Probably offensive. Yeah. Which is how, and we talked about this in the Binti uh, episode when the Hugos were kind of hijacked by these groups trying to push really Nazi kind of books, which is how in, in five categories, I think it was, no award was selected. Right. Because it was rated higher than, than, right. Those More books people that voted won. no award than voted for than it, voted it to be for, number one. Yeah. For any of those stories to be number one. Okay. So it's pretty interesting. I really like the way that it's done. It feels more democratic than, say, any any election in the U.S. Because it's not about like it's not about like our guy versus your guy. It's about it's kind of a spectrum where it's like, okay, this is my first choice, but if this doesn't win, this would would be my, my runner second up. Choice, right? Oh, and if this doesn't, no, work, I do like this that. Is the next oh best God. thing, Hugo's. We yeah. should have them run the American election. It's called a runoff system, and I, I'm going to start lobbying for it. <laughs> Call your congressman, Kyle. I know, I should. So that's my segment. I hope it was understandable <laughs> rambling <laughs> If about. it's not, feel free to tweet us, yeah. Facebook us. We're also, we're going we're, we'll t- we're, we're to tweet out and post the articles that I used for this where you can, <laughs> can, read, you can read and no, study I and figure I it out. No, I understand what you're saying, though, okay, and it is cool. really interesting. And it's nice to know how these books are picked to be Hugo Award winners because— I really enjoy that in our podcast that we do try and read the winner of the Hugo yeah, Awards. Yeah, me too. But now it's nice to know why we're reading yeah. those books. And I like, I really like how the nominations work, where if you're part of the World Science Fiction Society, you just pick any five books that you read that year mm-hmm. that you liked that came out that year. Oh and my you're goodness. like, any, anything. What if that was America and you picked any five politicians? <laughs> <laughs> that were around that year. Yeah, that would be amazing. That'd be yeah. better. I mean, then you would force some people into positions. Maybe they don't. Not everyone wants to be president. I feel you know? like if you're in politics, you want to. The end goal is president. I mean, the ego boost. Yeah, I guess it'd that's be hard true. to say. The no. people want me. <laughs> yeah. But the people, honey. <laughs> so Claire, back to opinions. Uh, let's talk about every heart a doorway. What do you? I, what do you think of it? I really Tell liked it. Um, I love the concept. I, um, because I think, again, it's this idea with fantasy where you kind of get to the end of the quest. And fantasy writers are starting to explore this more now, and science fiction writers are as well. But, like, what happens after Happily Ever After? Or what happens if you are Alice and you come out and you've been changed? Yeah. You know? You've been in Wonderland for 10 years or something, and it's been an hour. Or Narnia, where you became an adult in Narnia. Yeah. And then you came back. And you're a kid again. Yes. And how that would affect you in our real world. And I really, really loved hearing about all the different fantasy worlds that these children had gone into. Um, I I got chills sometimes reading about them. Super cool. I'm going to say that was my favorite part. Was did, reading about what did you think kids. of the book, Kyle? I didn't love it. I thought it was pretty interesting and pretty cool. My favorite part, like you said, was the kids talking about the fantasy worlds that they went to. There's, there's also there like you know kind of the main plot of the book is kind of a kind of a murder mystery, 
which I didn't really care about, honestly. I wanted to hear more about the different doorways and worlds that all the kids went to. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I can see that. The murder mystery I kind of thought was the side story that yeah. was getting us. That was like in, the plot yeah, that they give you. for it, So we could hear about all these different worlds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the reason that the murders are happening was super interesting as well. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, also, what I didn't talk about in my segment, I actually thought you might cover it, but since you didn't, I'm going to talk about it. What, um, Shauna McGuire, I read an article by her where she says that a lot of times it's the girls that end up going on these adventures. And then, like, if you think about Peter Pan, Wendy, and Susan in the Chronicles of Narnia, they, they can't yeah, they, go back. Yeah. I remember it, one of the things she mentioned in the interview that I read was that uh, she had a problem with Wendy and Peter Pan. Now, I didn't read Peter Pan, so uh, Shannon says that Wendy from Peter Pan uh, the whole time in the story is trying to get out of the adventure to go back to her dull, crappy life of chores and, <laughs> and you know, being a woman who's not allowed to, you know, and back in... I think I read it a long time ago. It's, again, one of those books that I can't really remember. I yeah. remember the Broadway musical very well. <laughs> I watched over and over. Yeah. I do like this idea that she's taking these girls who would go on these adventures and what kind of girls or boys would go on these adventures or would want to go through that door. Or would the door appear for. Exactly. People who don't fit in. Yeah. In, you know, our real world. Like how well was Alice fitting in in the real world? Yeah. And then coming back, how well is she fitting in? Um, I love the exploration of those characters. That's I think that is one of the better parts too. Is it's it's fun learning about the worlds and it's fun learning about the characters. I just didn't enjoy the plot very much, but I, I've heard that the the next book is awesome, is really good. So I, I'm definitely going to check that out. And I think the next book is actually an exploration of, of my the, favorite character. <laughs> oh well, your favorite characters and the world. Yeah, Jack and Jill, man, specifically Jack. She's she's the best in the story, I think. Oh, she's really cool. I I liked all the characters. And like you were talking about the world where they're running on rainbows. What world would you want to go to? In that story, man, it's going to sound kind of creepy or weird, but uh, I really liked the idea of Jack and Jill's world. It reminded me of Diablo. So explain the world. Uh, it's it's kind of a horror world. Uh, there's like an evil vampire who rules a town, and there's a mad scientist it's kind of freaky, but it's also it's also kind of cool. I also like Nancy's world, who is the the, the protagonist of the story, um, and hers is a is a uh, it's it's called the underworld where there's a master, but she she compares it to um, what's John William Waterhouse paintings, who I looked up and I like a lot of this guy's paintings, and I'm not super into art. But I've, I've been getting more into it recently because my girlfriend's trying to educate and culture me up a little bit. <laughs> so she can bring you out to parties. <laughs> so she can bring you to parties. And my favorite, uh, the paintings I like, though, she can't stand. But they're, but they're like the older kind of medieval tapestries or the paintings of like different myths and stuff. And you look like you could fall in. Or the bowl of fruit in that, in that Bacchanalia painting, it just looks delicious. You want to eat it. And so her talking about that world, or the world she was in, and these paint- really got she, me going. So the character sees these paintings and knows that he's been there. Yeah, or she thinks that he's been there or that he's seen it or something because right. it's the closest thing we'll, she's ever seen we'll to her We'll post those world. on the uh, Facebook page yeah, and everything because yeah. that, oh, wow, I didn't put that together and I didn't actually bother to go look it up. Look up who the guy was? Um well, yeah, what about you? I, oh, gosh, I'd go to the world where you're running on rainbows. Running on rain. It sounds like you're doing math, Claire. <laughs> well, if you're fine. Running I've on rainbows. It's a great time. 
It just sounded, or like a quest world where yeah. they're off fighting a dragon or something. Yeah, the, the character sounds... Cade was became like the Goblin Prince. Yeah, right? I'd be the Goblin Prince That's princess. Cool. I think that sounds so cool. All all the worlds have their own little charm. Like this one character, L'Oreal, her world I liked a lot. Even though in reality, if I was in a place like that, I wouldn't be super into it. What world was that again? It was a world. It was on. It was a little door near her porch. And she goes through it, and there's a dust queen and a spider oh, prince yeah. and, like, a moth princess. And it sounds pretty – it sounded cute the way it was written. I actually thought about a lot of these worlds were places that I wouldn't want to be, but the characters spoke of them so lovingly. Because it was their home. Yeah. That's the part of the thing. So if you saw the door, would you have gone through? Yeah, I'd go through a magical door. Are you kidding me? I've been waiting for that my whole life. <laughs> I know. We're too old now, Claire. <laughs> Me too. I also think it's this idea, like you said, you've been waiting for this your whole life. I was looking for that door. Yeah. I mean, I still am. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, no, this, I'm going to go on an adventure. Like when, like I said, would going to these, going to these art museums with my girlfriend and she was like, oh, let's go look at the cubism stuff. I'm like, no, I want to stare at the medieval tapestries. (laughs) (laughs) And if I could just fall into one, that would be pretty cool. I wouldn't want to be in a medieval world. Yeah. I get that, but or a bacchanalia, a bacchanalia painting. That's an adult world. (laughs) Um, Or one of those uh, Rubens paintings where everyone's being very frivolous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I could fall into that one. But yeah, I I think this book is also again exploring like that's what we've been searching for, and that's what like especially us nerdy kids. These misfits, yeah. Yeah, we're looking for our fantasy world. Yeah, and and when we go in, it's everything we want, and when we get kicked out. It's the worst thing in the world, and we're trying to find that door again, even though it's statistically it's right. unlikely. Oh boy, it's very sad. Yeah, there's kind of a there's kind of a analog there between nerds reading fantasy books, mm-hmm. you oh, know, definitely. always searching for that next one that's gonna keep them like keep them in oh. the world for a little while. Yeah, or watching movies or TV yeah, shows. That's true. That's anything true. like our escape. Yeah, uh, Claire, what um what are some some of your favorite portal fictions? I mentioned a bunch. I think my ultimate favorite is probably the Golden Compass series. Um, and it was really exciting to me when I realized, oh, wow, this, this is a portal series. Yeah, definitely. There's more to it than that. Yeah, um, yeah. And it doesn't really come in until the second book. But yeah, Golden Compass. And I, I do love Peter Pan. I never read Peter Pan, and I read the first Golden Compass, but didn't finish the series. It's definitely worth finishing. I don't remember reading Peter Pan, but I have always loved that story. Yeah. The idea of finding, escaping to Never Neverland. I think yeah. it was probably the first portal fantasy that I really latched on to as a kid. So definitely. the escape and going somewhere fun yeah. will always stay in my mind that way. What about you? Um, I was thinking about this. I really like Coraline, mm-hmm. and which was one of the ones mentioned. And then this is another Neil Gaiman. Uh, his book Neverwhere, which I haven't my, read. Yeah, it's one of my favorite kind of portals fantasies, and it's definitely a Neil portal Gaiman fantasy. has a few. He has a lot. Stardust, mm-hmm. I was thinking, is kind of a portal kind fantasy. Of, kind of, kind of. You're already kind of in a fantasy. Yeah, world. but there's a wall, or you know, but whatever. Right. But uh, Neverwhere, there's actually an actual character named Door in it, and her <laughs> power is that she op- she can open doors to places. I also love Monsters Inc. Oh, gosh. When I saw that on your notes, I was like, Monsters, Inc. is totally a portal fantasy, isn't it? Kind of portal horror. It's kind playing of, on the horror thing, too. It is. It's definitely playing on portal horror genre. It's pretty clever. Right. But it's such an easy way to make something fantastical. 
Not that I'm saying it's bad or lazy, but I feel like it's a way to make, like we were talking about, like this is believable. Yeah. This world, Monsters and Monsters, Inc., the monster world can exist because there's this door. Because there's a door. And it's it's funny how easy that is, at least for you and I, to think like, oh, yeah, of course, like if you find a fantasy door, there's going to be something crazy on the, like once you see fantasy door in a book or a story or a movie, you're like, of course, of course, uh, of course, those exist. What or were something. you expecting? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's it is so easy to turn into a different world. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So, would you recommend this book? I would. I didn't love it, but it is pretty short, and it is, and the world building in it is cool, and the portals are cool, and I think it's well written. So, I would recommend it, and I'm excited for the second one. Yeah, I would recommend it too. I, I think parts of it move more slowly, but I think the um, concept and the world, I was going to say the world, but the worlds that are created just make for some amazing moments. I did get chills a few times reading it. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Kyle Willoughby. And I'm Claire White. And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures in Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com, and we would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. You can find the show on Twitter at DSRA Podcast. I can be found on Twitter at Klex303. That's K-L-E-X-303. I can be found at Along With Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. And you can find our producer James at James Foey Jr. That's James Foey, F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. You can learn more about Every Hearted Doorway on our Facebook page, where we're going to post some of the articles and interviews we use for the show. And paintings. Our producer, who is still looking for that portal to the sandwich realm, is James Foey. Our logo was done by Patty Highland, who... What kind of portal is Patty Highland looking for? Oh, the Viking portal. The Viking portal. I can't decide if it's the Viking portal or, like, the traveling merry band of (laughs) musicians and acrobats world. Uh, uh, then she did our, our wonderful logo and our theme was composed by Pete Rowan who is, is I think right now inside the Hostess Cake world just eating himself to death I was going to, to say death. Pete's found his portal <laughs> he found his portal <laughs> and it leads him to the couch with delicious entomans <laughs> and other cheap pastries <laughs> once again this is Dragon Sexy Robots and Adventures in Nerd Manual thanks for listening and we will see you in two weeks <laughs> <laughs>